As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10, place your first bet on any game, and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. The Athletic. This is Straight Outta Cobham, the Chelsea FC podcast from The Athletic. On this episode, an historic achievement from the Chelsea women as they reach the Champions League final for the first time. And now Frank Kirby's got to wrap it up. Ben Cart's not in goal. It's an open goal for Kirby. It's Chelsea through to the Women's Champions League final for the first time in their history. I'm not going to sit and give you a load of crappy platitudes. I worked my whole life today. I'm so crap than players. Thomas Tuchel's team earn a fairly fuss-free three points from Fulham. Havertz trying to control the ball on the edge of the Fulham penalty area, lays it square to Werner. Werner just outside the box, threads it through, Havertz slots it, flag stays down, it's brilliant from Chelsea. We look ahead to the second leg of the Champions League semi-final against Real Madrid and preview another crunch Premier League game in Manchester. Available for free wherever you get your podcasts and ad-free on The Athletic, this is Straight out of Cobham. Welcome along then to another trawl through the news and notes from SW6. I'm Matt Davis-Adams, joined as ever by The Athletic's three blues brains. They are Liam Toomey. Hello. And Dominic Fifield. Hello, good morning. And of course, Simon Johnson. Hello. Hello. Later, we'll hear from The Athletic's women's football correspondent Katie Wyatt on Chelsea's bashing of Bayern. But first, let's look back on Saturday's win against Fulham. to Fulham nil at Stamford Bridge on Saturday, then the Blues tightening their grip on fourth place while simultaneously ensuring that struggling against lower-ranked teams at home isn't going to become a thing under Thomas Tuchel. Kai Havertz with a goal early in both halves to ensure the most routine of victories. Havertz was excellent. If only we had some sort of Kai Havertz stand we could call upon to give us their views on how the young German did on Saturday. Oh, look, we've got one. Uh, Liam, you were in the bottom tier of the East stand. I was at the very top and I could still feel you beaming when the second goal went in. Um, he did quite well, you boy. Well, pride is like heat. It rises, doesn't it? Um, <laughs> so that, that explains that, I think. Um, yeah, he looked really good again. Um, I don't think you can say this was the moment we saw the real Kai Havertz in the Premier League because that moment was Crystal Palace away. Sorry, Dom. But... Uh, <laughs> Didn't happen as far as I'm concerned. <laughs> <laughs> but I thought he, he was very good again. Not just his goals, which he took really, really well. 
still strange to me to see a Chelsea attacker finishing clinically when given chances within the context of this season. But his general touch in the opposition half, his link-up play, his awareness, I think he was he was just really, really good. And, and actually, I looked at the sort of team average positions afterwards for the piece I did on the game and Mount was further forward than Havertz, which shows how much he was dropping back into midfield and helping Chelsea's build-up. And I think he's he's just got the ability to to offer all of those false nine things while offering the true nine things, and that makes him a, a quite a unique a unique player. And for for a squad in which um, Tuchel doesn't seem to trust a lot of his other number nine options, I think Havertz can be can be very valuable. And, and Tuchel admitted after the game he's given him a decision to make now for Real Madrid. And actually, Simon, it wasn't just Havertz. The, the front three, I thought, all did well. Werner's link-up with, with Havertz was, was very promising and, and Ziyech was, was industrious throughout and a threat as well. Was that due to the, the moderate opposition or did they just play well? I thought they had their moments. I'm not going to get carried away, as Liam can testify, with our WhatsApp chat at the weekend. I, I didn't think Chelsea were that great. They didn't have to be. But I didn't think they were that, that great. I, I thought there was probably only about 10, 15 minutes where they genuinely combined as an attacking force. I thought Fulham, like you only have to think back to the first half, which Fulham sort of had the lion's share of possession. And this is not a criticism. I, I think actually sort of Chelsea, it was the ideal fixture for them ahead of obviously what we're going to go on to talk about, the, the second leg the semi-final against Real Madrid, I, I felt they could coast, they coasted through most of the game. They had the odd sporadic attack. But like Timo Werner, I, I, I didn't actually think he had a good game. Um, sublime assist for the second goal, but for the most part, I thought it was another struggle for him, particularly in the first half. It sounds like I'm really uh, putting a down on everything that you just said there, Matt. But no, I mean, I, all it was for me was a victory against a struggling side who gave it their best go and Chelsea sort of once they went 2-0 up basically didn't create anything they sort of switched the engine off and saved it for for Wednesday night Thomas Tuchel Dom spoke about players giving him a a selection headache do you buy into that or do you think he was always just making these changes with with Wednesday in mind and his starting 11 for that game is set in stone and nothing that happened on Saturday would change that I think Havertz's performance probably does does give him a question uh, to answer ahead of ahead of the midweek game, but it really depends on how he anticipates Real Madrid coming at Chelsea and and whether that you know their urgency to to retrieve the tie given that they've conceded the away goal means that there might be more opportunities for for Chelsea to run in behind and 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 exploit those areas again. I mean. Do they play a back three? Do they go revert to a back four? Uh, Real Madrid and and Tuchel's sort of second guessing that with Zidane, and I think he'll he'll see Werner's pace as a, as a as an asset given how well he did in the first game over there in Spain. So Havertz has Havertz has has is probably the, the player that has you know posed the most questions for for, for Tuchel, and he, look, he's a great asset to have to to chuck on if if he doesn't start the game, but. But I suspect that the, the starting lineup will be very similar to what we saw in, in Spain, given how impressive Chelsea were for long periods of that game. So that will mean no start for, for Billy Gilmore then. He, he did get a start here, Liam, and he was the subject of your 
your post-match piece. He uh, he tried to give me a, a fist bump after the game, so I don't think he realises I'm nearly 40. But other than that, it was a pretty successful afternoon for it. Kids these days. Um, yeah, the, the piece was kind of, it was about Gilmore, but it was also bigger than Gilmore because I thought it was um, it was tactically really interesting what Tuchel did. He, he said before the game that basically he was putting Gilmore in the position that he feels most comfortable. And that proved to be as the lone number six. You know, we've, we've seen Tuchel talk about the double six all the time since he took over. And that's those two sitting controlling midfielders have been a key part of this system. But this was probably the most attack-minded team that Tuchel picked just in terms of the tactical setup because you, you had Gilmore holding on his own with Ziyech and Mount as very free attack-minded eights. It was it was almost like a Lampard midfield, really, in terms of the you know the attack-defense balance of it. And there were times where, particularly with the way Fulham were pressing with three very narrow forwards against Chelsea's back three, they made it very difficult for Chelsea's defenders to get Gilmore the ball. Um, and so I saw, you know, in my comments on the Q&A um, around the game, a few people were saying, oh, Gilmore really struggled. And I think it's not as simple as that. I think you have to look at the way the game was tactically and Fulham set up to stop the ball getting to him. Um, and as a result, Thiago Silva was actually Chelsea's main playmaker and helps create the first goal with that long ball over the top for Mount. I just thought that the interesting thing about the game was the fact that Tuchel sacrificed some of that defensive solidity in the first half, which is why Fulham looked a bit dangerous and Mendy made two big saves. But it also meant they had another man to go forward, whether that be Mount or Ziyech, and they, and they actually created quite a few men-over situations, including the one that, that led to the opening goal. So I, I don't see Tuchel doing that particularly often uh, for the rest of the season, just because I think he, he's going to be a bit more solid than that. As it was, he only did it for 45 minutes and then he dropped Mount back alongside Gilmore to give him a little bit more support. But it was interesting to see him take a look at it and and obviously nice to see Billy Gilmore again, who I thought, despite some difficult moments and despite Fulham really trying to make his life difficult, I think um, I think he, he had some good moments as well. Well, Chelsea looking good for a place in the top four. Of course, there is another route to Champions League qualification open to them. They could just go and win the thing this season. We'll look ahead to the second leg of the semi-final against Real Madrid later. Next, though, get ready for Gothenburg. This episode is brought to you by Michelob Ultra, the official beer sponsor of the NBA. Want to get closer to the game than ever before? Michelob Ultra Courtside is giving fans the chance to win exclusive NBA prizes and experiences like official gear, courtside seats to an NBA game, and more. Head over to MichelobUltra.com slash courtside to learn more. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day, or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. 
On Sunday, Chelsea's women claimed a piece of history as they booked their place in the Champions League final for the first time. Emma Hayes' side enjoyed a 4-1 win against Bayern Munich at Kings Meadow to earn a 5-3 aggregate victory. Joining us now is the Athletics women's football correspondent Katie Wyatt, who's written a brilliant piece on Sunday's game and the magnificence of Emma Hayes. Head to theathletic.com slash ChelseaPod to sign up and read it if you aren't currently a subscriber. Katie, an incredible second leg. For, for anyone who missed it, can you try and talk us through it? It might take a while. Um, well, I think, first of all, the first thing to say, and a lot of other journalists that I was speaking to yesterday echoed this, that that was emotionally, even for us as people that profess to be quite detached from the whole thing, one of the most excruciating and tense games that we'd ever watched and even reading back over my notes which were not anything special just kind of this player took this shot and this happened at this time this is what it looked like you were already just from those very sparse details transported back to just how tense you felt when the whole thing was going on and how on edge you felt and I think for me I probably didn't stop shaking until long after the final whistle just because the stakes were so high and having been around that squad for a number of years and seeing the project that they've built and having witnessed a lot of the key milestones of Emma Hayes's careers and uh, I was one of the journalists that was invited into her office when she did a big tactical breakdown of Leon and when they were playing in the semi-final a few years ago when we followed her career and know how much this means and have seen the squad that she's assembled and the trajectory of players like Frank Kirby to then see them do it and go all the way was just one it was just so moving and so emotional even as people who were not supposed to be so detached um so attached to them, sorry. Um, and I think that any women's football fan or anyone with an interest in women's football will know of just how much that meant and how high the stakes were and how important that is for the game in this country. So that's one element of it. I think the actual game itself, as I said, was one of the most tensest and surrealist experiences of my career. But it was a very strange one because Chelsea started so brilliantly and were coming forward with the gusto that we're very used to seeing from them. And then I think um, after Bayern Munich's goal, which was just the wonderful finish and a really expertly queued up um, finish for anyone who's not seen that I would suggest that you do seek it out um, they wobbled a little bit and I think that probably after that and deep into the second half you did feel that the game was going to go towards extra time 2-1 being the scoreline that that would seek them to extra time with G having got the, the slightly odd uh, rebound from the free kick and converted that for Chelsea second and then um, as the game was going on the Magdalena Eriksson was just doing off the line after off the line Sam Kerr was back defending and then um, you were just thinking it was so tense and so dramatic and then when Peniel Harder got the finish you did wonder, are they going to do it? Are they going to do it? And then when Frank Kirby added the last one into an open goal and just tapping it in because the Bayern Munich goalkeeper had come up for the corner, it was just surreal that in the end it was just that simple for them um, after a game that had been quite tense for so many of us to watch. Yeah, the last few minutes were horrendous because it, at 3-1 a Bayern goal would have sent them through. You mentioned Penilla Harder there, her, her, Kirby, G, all coming to the fore, the, the big players that Chelsea have recruited over a number of years, almost you know explicitly for, for games like this, and, and they delivered on, on the stage that they've been brought to shine on. Yeah, definitely. And I thought that it was very fitting that it was those three players that got the goals because Van Kirby, it's obviously been very well documented what she went through last season. And for her to come back being... 10 times better than she was and to have the season of her life to be the player of the year and waiting and it wouldn't surprise me if she's the Ballon d'Or winner later on this year I think was just massively 
um, the fitting of the season that she's had and the season that Chelsea have had and how instrumental she's been. I think that G is such a vital cog and component of their play is often overlooked because it's just that quiet, um, agile, very intelligent play that I think maybe people often don't see because it's quite silent. And then Peniel, who, as you mentioned, was the one that was signed with a view to reaching this competition and taking Chelsea on to that next level and being the world record women's player signing. Um, it was just very, very apt that those three were the ones that um, stole the headlines and got on the score sheet. Although Emma Hayes was in a press conference and she was saying, oh, I don't even remember who scored. How many did Fran get? Oh, yeah, G scored, didn't she? And she was um, just so absorbed in, in the emotion and the feeling and it had just been such a roller coaster for her. And that said, although those those big-name players did deliver, unsung heroes, Jess Carter filling in for, for Maren Mielder and, and Neve Charles normally plays on the right, left back here, and they were both exceptional going forward, but also defending. Yeah, definitely. And Neve Charles and Jess Carter are the two that I think have really, um, of the players, I don't want to say on the fringes, but on the fringes, have really emerged with their credit and reputations enhanced from this Champions League run, I think. Um, Neve Charles, it was such a big step for her to sign from Liverpool. And I think that people forget that she was relegated from the WSL last season um, with that team. And then now she's in a position where she's going to potentially be a, a star in a Champions League final. It's looking like they've got the league wrapped up. They've just got a few more moves to make in there. And it's just um, a wonderful, wonderful story for her. And I think yesterday you really saw her... Um, defensive metal and control and positioning was at its best but she was also starting off a number of attacks and I think that for Carter to be a player who was coming from the outside having had to as you say play second fiddle for Marami Elder but being able to just do exactly what Emma Hayes has asked for exactly when Need did got the free kick for the Peniel Harder goal and um, her defensive organisation as well was really, really spot on. So I do think it's just shown maybe the depth in this Chelsea squad that we look at their attacking talent and we always go, oh, yeah, look at that. Imagine being able to take off Frank Kirby and bring on Bethany England and Erin Cuthbert. And we talk about that a lot, but I do think that this Champions League campaign in light of the defensive injuries that has us maybe demonstrated that that depth extends to other areas of the pitch as well but that said I do think that Magdalena Eriksson is the one player that they really would fall to pieces without and that's been illustrated in the in the games defensively that they've had without her. Yeah and that block that she made right at the end just before uh, Kirby scored was kind of a perfect example of that I guess. Um, tell us a little bit about Barcelona. Like Chelsea they, they haven't won it before. You, you'd expect this to be the, the toughest game of the run. They kind of similar level to, to Bayern Munich, a little bit better maybe? Um, I think that this is a really interesting Barcelona side in that we have seen them reach Champions League finals before and just not come anywhere close to the class and the majesty of, of Lyon. And I think that we have seen them this year that Lika Martins, who was the star of the 2017 Euros, got two goals yesterday and seems to be really, really hitting new highs as well, maybe as Fran Kirby is. And it's a very interesting Emma Hayes was drawing the parallels between them in terms of their model and the way that they've built and their recruitment, albeit signing a very, very different style of player. They're almost um, a mirror image of this Chelsea side in a lot of ways in the way that they're structured in the way that they've built. Um, so I do think it's interesting for them that they've had to wait a long time for this moment and for this opportunity to realistically win this competition because I think that as long as Leon were in their pomp, it was very hard to envisage anybody else coming close. And uh, I do think this is probably the best Barcelona side that we've seen for a number of years and 
we saw the way that they just dismantled City with their pace in the final third and their speed of thought and speed of movement and it's a side that's got so much talent in it and I do think that it's a very tough proposition for Chelsea but I think Emma Hayes will be prepared for it she said in a press conference yesterday that obviously they're going there to win but she also predicted way back at the start of the season or that if Chelsea do get to a Champions League final then the opponents will be Barcelona provided that Leon are knocked out so um, it's certainly something that she's had at the forefront of her mind for a while in terms of maybe this is how this competition is going to end for her squad. Finally, Katie, we shouldn't forget that Chelsea are looking to wrap up the WSL title as well. They slipped to second behind Man City after City beat Birmingham at the weekend, but they're a point behind with a game in hand and, and two left to play. So if they can beat Spurs on Wednesday night, that, that will just about do it. Yeah, I think so. I mean, it is very interesting the way that City started the season very wobbly and maybe didn't know how to use the really rich blend of talent that they have in that squad and they were losing and drawing games that you wouldn't expect that City team to struggle with. And with that in mind, it's very interesting that they have managed to pull it back and make it this close because a lot of people had maybe written them off around October-November time. And I think it's very interesting in terms of the Chelsea side that you were looking at them and wondering with the amount of talent that they have and the way that they've just battered teams, whether they would turn this title race into a bit of a procession. So I think it's all credit to Manchester City that they've been able to make it as close as they have and, and take it down to the last day. But it does feel very much that Chelsea are probably not going to slip up with the two games that they've got. I just can't imagine this team with the way that they've just answered every question and just that's been thrown at them this season, the way that they have dismantled opponents in the WSL and just always nine times out of ten, the only slip up they had it was against Brighton early this year, got the job done. Um, so I just cannot see them falling. If they did, it would be a massive, massive story for them to throw the quadruple away well, a potential quadruple to throw the league away right at the 11th hour. Um, but it does feel a little bit like it's just two more stops for them and then this is wrapped up. Yeah, Chelsea's last two games away to Spurs and then home to Reading, two mid-table teams with that much to play for. Uh, Katie, thanks so much for joining us again. Great, thank you. Bye. Katie Wyatt there, read her only in The Athletic. Liam, it's a magnificent achievement from Chelsea to, to reach the final. And it reflects not only the, the quality of the manager and the squad, but but also the investment that the club as a whole have made into the women's team. Yeah, I mean, every aspect of their operation now, the the house that Emma Hayes has built, as it were, is leading the sport, essentially. And you're seeing the results of that on the pitch. And what really impressed me in the second leg, particularly of that buy and tie, was just the resilience that's in this team. We know about the quality, we know about the depth and particularly the attacking firepower. They can they can put three or four goals past any opposition on any given day. But the way the game played out against Bayern, when Zadrazil, I believe is her name, smashed that 25-yard shot in off the crossbar, incredible goal to really tilt the tie back in Bayern's favour. It would have been very, very easy for even a team as good as Chelsea to believe, oh, actually, maybe it isn't our year. Especially after, you know, so many previous disappointments at the quarterfinal, semi-final stage. But they didn't do that. They they rallied. And we've talked many times about just how important Fran Kirby has been to this team since she's come back to her best. And she really adds a, a different dimension with her ability to to carry the ball and clinical finishing on both feet. And they were just utterly ruthless. And even when they were 
pulling away with their goal scoring. At the other end, there were last-ditch blocks and really committed defending. And that's a recipe that, that wins you the Champions League um, that, that can give you the edge over other great teams. And Leon's dominance was ended in the other half of the draw. I know that Chelsea wanted to be the team to, to, to end their supremacy in European football, but they still have a way of kind of doing that by actually winning this tournament. They go against a very talented Barcelona side, but they, based on everything they've shown so far, should go into it with every confidence that they can win. Well, it's not just the women who are aiming to win European club football's top prize this season. We'll look ahead to the men's Champions League semi-final second leg next. Wednesday at 8pm UK time, Chelsea and Real Madrid face off for a place in the Champions League final. It's one all after last week's first leg in Madrid. Christian Pulisic's goal having been cancelled out by Karim Benzema's spectacular strike. Simon, how do, how do Chelsea approach this game? Are they, are they going to be cautious? They don't need to score, whereas Madrid do. It's, um, it's a slightly difficult situation to prepare for in, in some respects, I guess. It is, but they, they have had a sort of similar scenario uh, when Atletico Madrid came to town, of course they had a, a one-goal lead to defend at that point, but they didn't. They they didn't have a conservative game plan. They they went to win the game, and I think they have to operate in exactly the same mindset, not to defend the away goal, but to actually go out and 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 try and win the game as well. Because um, with the, the the ability of the players that Real Madrid have, and and whilst they didn't sort of show a lot of it in the first leg. You have to think that Real Madrid are going to still be a threat when when Benzema's floating around the penalty area. This guy can come up with a with a moment of magic, as as we saw in Madrid. So uh, I just think Chelsea have to go for it, and they're going to have to play as well as they did against Atletico, which is probably the best performance for me under Tuchel because um, they were in control from start to finish, um, and it's going to need that kind of mindset to to repeat it. What about Real then, then Dom? Consensus seems to be they won't play as poorly as they did certainly in the first half of the first leg. But is there a possibility that they're just actually not that good? Yes, <laughs> there is. There is that possibility. But I, you know, I don't think. I think Chelsea will still be wary of them. I mean, they're still Real Madrid. I mean, they've still got some absolutely spectacular players in their ranks, and Benzema sums that up. And we all know the. The qualities of, you know, Eden Hazard, who, who played 70 odd minutes at the weekend as well against Osasuna. So, uh, there, there, there was a real threat there still. But I think, I think going into this tie, I think we, we had this debate on the, on the podcast that, you know, are they the force that they, that they once were or even were three or four years back? Probably not, but they still, they still carry that reputation with them. They're still capable of summoning a performance when they need to. And, and they, yeah, they will be dangerous at Stamford Bridge. They, they, they clearly will be. Um, but there's a vulnerability there as well. And if Chelsea perform as they did in that second leg against Atletico and as they did in the first leg against Porto, um, it's still fancy Chelsea to get through. I mean, I think I think the, the final will be whoever gets through to that final phase is a, a far greater uh, threat. I mean, the, the, the other side of the draw is far more weighted and, and that's that's where the the real pedigree and quality probably lies. But but Real Madrid, that would be a hell of a scalp for Chelsea at this stage in this team's development as well. I think it would be 
it would send out completely the right messages as to where the team's going. Liam, we spoke um, briefly earlier about selection issues for this game. Two players we didn't mention were, were Tony Rudiger and Mateo Kovacic. Rudiger, did, did Tuchel say anything about him on, on Saturday? And, and presumably Kovacic, even if he's fit, he's, he's not going to start having missed, what, a month or so. Yeah, Tuchel didn't comment explicitly on Rudiger, I don't believe, at least not in the broadcast section of that press conference. Um, but ahead of the Fulham game, he did say that he was a lot more optimistic about Rudiger being fit for, for Real Madrid than than Kovacic, um, at least fit to start. I think it sounded like Rudiger's injury was a bit more, or absence from the Fulham game was a bit more of a precaution. Um, so we'll see what he says. I mean, he'll speak again on Tuesday ahead of that Madrid game and I'm sure he'll provide an update at that point but it's really important given the way Rudiger's been playing that, that Chelsea have him starting he's been one of their best players ever since Tuchel came in he's been really really consistent on the left of that back three and his personality I think you know when it's channeled in the right way when he keeps that kind of aggression on the pitch um, the right side of legal <laughs> uh, he's a real asset and, and I think he's shown that Kovacic I thought Chelsea would miss him a lot more in Madrid than they actually did. I was really surprised they were able to play so well and carve through Madrid's um, sort of half-hearted attempts at pressing without their best ball-carrying midfielder, which is what Kovacic is. And I'm sure as long as he's fit enough, Tuchel will definitely want him in the squad, at least on the bench, to call upon. Even though you'd have to say Jorginho and Kante, having been rested for Fulham, will, will clearly be the starting pairing in that in that double six. Uh, somebody who will definitely start in goal for Real Madrid is Thibaut Courtois. We might not see Edin Hazard from the start, but I think we can say that Courtois will, will definitely be in from the off. Simon, you've written a piece on his time at Chelsea and how he engineered his departure. It, it's fair to say that he was keen to get away. <laughs> yeah, he, was, he, he wasn't that keen to come back, which is a point I sort of make really that, that Thibaut Courtois, I think... Um, I have some sympathy for him. I also have some sympathy for Chelsea fans that that re, sort of don't regard him too highly because not all of his behaviour, which I think he himself concedes, was was the best in in engineering his move. But but as I explain in the piece, this was basically a move that Chelsea helped engineer by their own actions by leaving him on loan at Atletico Madrid for three years. He built up a life there. And so much so that even though he enjoyed a great success at Chelsea, his head was at Chelsea, but his heart was always in Madrid. And it took a number of dominoes to fall into place for Courtois to get his move to, to Real Madrid. But for personal reasons, with two children living in, in Spain, it was always going to be very hard for Chelsea to hang on to him. And I, and I think, you know, any parent listening to this who's a Chelsea fan that still holds bitterness towards Thibaut Courtois, yes, you can sort of criticise him going on strike, but you can't criticise him for wanting to be with his kids and seeing them grow up. And, and I think that that fundamentally was the main motivation for his move. And then, of course, it, it, it kind of is an added benefit that he's joining one of the biggest clubs, if not the biggest club in the world, and, and has gone on to great success there. And what Chelsea will be worried about is Courtois replicating what he did in 2014 when he played against Chelsea, much to Mourinho's chagrin. 
He was on loan at Atletico, had a great performance at Stamford Bridge. As Mourinho referred to him afterwards as the Atletico goalkeeper, didn't even refer to him by name. Courtois will be motivated to put in a performance on Wednesday night. He's seen all the abuse from Chelsea fans for the last few years. There's a lot of abuse just from the last week. All about the snake. And I think the snake wants to uh, bite back. Nice. Uh, yeah, do check that piece out. I-, I wasn't aware until I read it that Kepa nearly went to Real Madrid and um, yeah, how things could have could have been different if that had happened. But lastly, on this game, Dom, I'm just wondering, might the, the five subs rule tip it in Chelsea's favour here? Because looking at the two benches last week and-, and Chelsea was so strong and that triple substitution that Tuchel made really had an impact on the game. We've spoken about the squad depth all season and, and-, and this is where it could come to the fore, I suppose. Yeah, absolutely right. And it's a point that Thomas Tuchel has made in a in a very polite way when he's been addressing domestic issues and his frustrations that he can't use five substitutes in, in the Premier League. Um, he, he clearly, he, he recognises the fact that Chelsea have got a, a, a greater depth than the vast majority of clubs in this division in, in the Premier League. I mean, that they have done brilliantly well with with injuries generally over the course of the season. I know there are a couple of doubts over the players' participation in this midweek. But I think generally speaking, if you look at the number of games that Chelsea players have missed this season, they'll they'll, they'll be right up at the top of the table in terms of the fewest. Um, and yeah, he's wanted to have that those options off the bench in domestically as well. Um, but they can sway this tie, absolutely. He can change this, the style of play. He, he keeps Havertz on the on the bench and, and Ziyech on the bench and 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 you know Real are, are, are proving stubborn and, and, and Chelsea are struggling to unlock them then he's got two players there that can that can infiltrate Real Madrid's lines um particularly a tiring Real Madrid perhaps late in the tie and Chelsea can hold sway that way so absolutely it's a it's an asset for for Chelsea to exploit in, in this competition and and um, hopefully gives them the edge Right, let's get some predictions before we move on then. Dom, who's going through? I think Chelsea go through. Simon? I hate predictions. <laughs> I'm going to say Real Madrid. <laughs> okay, so then, then you've got some sort of comfort if it if it does happen that you approve right. Um, Liam, what about you? You get the deciding vote here, so think carefully. Well, I'm tempted to say Real Madrid just because Dom said Chelsea. Uh, <laughs> In <laughs> fairness, my predictions yeah, are Dom's record, universally yeah, awful. <laughs> Shorting Dom's predictions. I'm going for Porto. Uh, quite. <laughs> <laughs> um, I think it's going to be really close and I I still have that nagging doubt that, that Chelsea are going to miss a big chance at some point in the game, possibly Werner and pay for it against the more experienced team. But um, I do think Chelsea are the better football team, tactically, collectively. So I think maybe they squeeze through. In all seriousness, I have always had this image of celebrating Belgians. You know, Eden Hazard sort of cutting inside, uh, sort of struggling as Piliqueta and then smacking one in the bottom corner and Thibaut Courtois diving full length to, I don't know, stop a penalty in a shootout or something. I, I, it's just, I, I can just sort of see that being the, the Belgians coming back to haunt Chelsea. You need to get out more, so. <laughs> <laughs> but it's very, it's very, very realistic. 
I thought you meant, like, I don't know, Mishy Batshuayi and Charlie Musonda somewhere watching the game together going, yay, Chelsea have done it. Um, yeah, maybe not. We'll find out. Uh, well, the big games keep on coming for Chelsea. Next up in the Premier League, a trip to Manchester City on Saturday. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Well, luckily, with 24-7 US-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime day or night. Yep, you heard it right. You can talk to a real human in customer service any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask me. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. This episode is supported by season three of FX's Welcome to Wrexham. Celebrity owners Rob McElhenney and Ryan Reynolds' small-town Welsh football club has finally been promoted into League Two after 15 seasons in the National League. Dedicated staff and supporters celebrate the city's return to glory while bracing for the newfound challenges that come with being in a higher division. Will Wrexham AFC stand up to the challenges and rise again into League One? FX is welcome to Wrexham. Catch all new episodes Thursdays on FX. Stream on Hulu. Chelsea take on Manchester City for the fourth, but possibly not the final time this season when they make the trip to the Northwest this coming weekend. We're recording before the Champions League semis, so we can't say whether this is a warm-up for the Champions League final. We also don't know at the time of recording when the United versus Liverpool game will be rearranged for and thus whether City are going to be champions by kickoff or not. We saw last season when Liverpool went to City, having already won the title, they got absolutely pumped. It will have a, an influence on, on how this game plays out, won't it, if, if City are champions by kickoff? Yeah, I think it can certainly have an influence. I don't think you'd see quite the same let-up from City just because there isn't the emotional release of a first Premier League title in 30 years. Um, I think it's completely understandable that Liverpool were just off their game and, and off focus after that. City, I don't know... I. I think they're still going to be very difficult, partly because they've got such a big squad. Even if Pep rotates a little bit, and you know they're they're, they're not playing quite the strongest eleven, it will still be a, a tough, tough test for Chelsea. But what we've seen is that Chelsea do well in these big games. You now expect Tuchel to get the game plan right, and you expect the players that he picks to execute it. They don't make mistakes. They don't give good teams, easy opportunities to beat them. And fundamentally, they don't beat themselves. Um, So I think Chelsea can go into these last four Premier League games more generally with real confidence that they can get the points they need because they're in a strong position now. And they've, they've shown ever since the end of January that they are capable of getting the job done against pretty much anyone in any stadium. And on. they've shown they're capable of beating Manchester City as well just a few weeks ago. That that might play into into how they approach this game, possibly. Yeah, and City have lost two of their last three home Premier League games, which is a set which I I hadn't I wasn't blissfully unaware of prior to this checking there. But Manchester United and Leeds United with a win against Southampton sandwiched in between. They don't play very many home games in the league at the moment. In fact, their away record is ridiculous they've won every single away game since the middle of December I mean it's astonishing but but look yes there is a there is a chance because they they will be tactically set up to try and blunt City I imagine and they will need that ruthlessness on the break in this game as well on the, on the counter they, they won't be able to 
to miss the presentable chances they do chisel out. I don't expect them to create too many. But, you know, City... City, I watched them on the weekend, and they played their second team at the weekend, and they made a lot of changes, and they, they may do again for this. You know, they, they may... They, they will have to play their first choice against Paris Saint-Germain in, in, in midweek, so they'll... They'll have to, they'll have to rest players. They'll have, they'll, well, potentially they could rest players. I mean, their second choice isn't bad. Sergio Aguero offered a little reminder of to the world of, of his capabilities with an absolutely sublime goal at the weekend. And there's a threat, and there's pace, and there's there's power in that in that team. But I wouldn't put it beyond Chelsea to get a result there. Um, and a result would probably be a draw, to be honest. I think that they. They will rely a lot on, on on Conte's energy in in midfield again. They'll need that ruthlessness up top, as, as I mentioned before, and, and they'll need the defensive solidity. But you know, they, as you say, they 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 showed the, the other week that they they are capable of eclipsing the City team with the FA Cup semi final performance. So they'll take some encouragement into that match. Yeah, I guess fatigue might be a factor depending on whether Chelsea get pushed to extra time by Real Madrid. Uh, Simon, there's there's currently 19 points between the sides in the Premier League table. Would you expect Chelsea to, to make a significant indent into that next season? Yes, because one only has to sort of see the strides they've made in the last three months where they are sort of um, genuinely sort of competing against the best sides in the biggest games, as Liam sort of already said. Of course, a lot will depend on what happens in the summer window. They they, they do have to address this goal scoring problem. Um, it's ridiculous that you know a team that's competing in the league, their highest goal score is on six goals. You're not going to win and compete with Man City with with a return like that. But I think they've got the manager. They're building the squad. And, you know, if they, I think it's important that they win something from this season to take that belief into next season too. The Man City will start as favourites. Liverpool will also, you expect them to come back if, if, you know, with Virgil van Dijk being fit again. But we've seen enough positive strides, I think, for for Chelsea. They're, they've taken that step where last season they were a, a good sort of just scraping into fourth spot kind of side and winning and, and competing for the FA Cup. This season they've they've kicked on again, I think, mainly in the last three months, to become a side that can compete for the Champions League. And if you can compete for the Champions League, then you have to say that that, that they've got the potential to compete for the Premier League. But winning it and competing it are two different things. Manchester City versus Chelsea kicks off at half past five UK time on Saturday. Elsewhere in Chelsea news, a George Nungol gave the under-23s a 1-0 win against Blackburn in their penultimate PL2 game of the season. They play Rovers again this coming Friday, with Chelsea currently second in the table behind champions at Manchester City. The under-18s didn't have a game this past weekend. They play Spurs away from home on Saturday before rounding off their Premier League South campaign with derbies against Arsenal and Fulham. Uh, we're just about done for today. Before we go, let's hear what the chaps have been working on for Athletic subscribers to enjoy. Liam, you mentioned your piece on Saturday's game. What else are you working on this week? Uh, there's the small matter of Chelsea versus Real Madrid. I'll be writing a piece based on that game. 
Uh, and obviously that will condition much of what the latter half of the week looks like. Um, we have part two of Alexi Smertin. I think the the first part of that interview went down very well. Lots of mad, quirky stories that were popular with our readers. The second half will be different in tone. It will focus a lot on his work with the Russian Football Union and, and racism in Russian football because he's the leader of the anti-racism task force. Despite making some comments uh, about racism in Russia that were pretty controversial a few years ago, so all of that is will be covered in the interview that that should be running this week. Might be subject to change, but we'll, it should be running this week. How about you, Simon? I've interviewed Reese and Lauren James's dad, Nigel, which will be on the site Tuesday morning, and it starts off inevitably and sadly um, talking about racism, um, the racism that uh, abuse that his children have suffered, that he himself has suffered, um, the social media boycott. But um, you'll be happy to know I then go into other more light-hearted subjects, including talking about his role as a coach. Um, he, he's a, he runs a very successful coaching school, so much so that um, there's a danger that he's going to miss the game on Wednesday night. Um, he missed the first leg because he was coaching his team. And as he told me, he was scanning the fixture list as we were talking and he went, oh no, there's another clash. <laughs> um, which, um, but he was he was making the point. He was saying, look, if I'm running a business and I'm telling parents that I'm committed to your children, I can't be going off and watching my son play. But what a what a decision to have to make to to potentially miss your son playing in a team that's reaching a Champions League final. But of course, I, I also talked to him about parents and the pressure that they put on their kids to make it. Um, I also talk about obviously Lauren and the success she's had at Manchester United. He was brilliant. He, he spoke very candidly for 90 minutes. I'm, I'm going to try and not make it a 10,000 word dissertation. Um, but um, yeah, he was very good value and, um, and hopefully it's an enjoyable read for everyone. Yeah. Looking forward to getting stuck into that. Uh, Dom, who's Nicola Tavares? <laughs> Nicola Tavares is a uh, Croatia under 20 international who's currently playing for Wealdstone. Okay, and you've written about him for the episode. <laughs> Fantastic. Yeah, that, that, was, that was a piece about uh, the effects of uh, the pandemic on, on young players who were released um, at the end of their contracts. Uh, Nicola was out of contract at Crystal Palace um, at the end of June. He was extended through to the post-lockdown period. And then, because he was, he was recovering from an injury at the time, Palace actually gave him month-to-month just to get him through his rehab through to January, which was which was good of them, and and uh, and I don't think it's necessarily typical of a lot of clubs' ruthless attitude towards contractual situations. But he's now trying to rebuild his career uh, in in non-league. It's it was purely a story about the the pandemic and then the effects it has had on a, maybe some of the unknown effects that it's had on a lot of uh, younger players. Um, in, in terms of what we're working on this week, there's a piece going out on. Um, pre-tournament injuries uh, for England players. And I'm, I only mention it in this context because I, I wonder whether Gareth Southgate is watching every Chelsea match at the moment and fretting and wincing at every challenge that's put in on Mason Mount because he is going to be so integral to that England team come the summer. 
Um, so it's looking at that situation and and the the worries that that it uh, induces in in national team managers. Yeah, Mount's made more appearances for Chelsea than anybody else has this season. Athletic.com slash Chelsea pod is the place to go to sign up and read those pieces. That'll do it for us today, though. Many thanks to Liam, to Simon, to Dom, to producer Lucy and to you for joining us. We'll catch up with you again same time next week. Until then, from all of us here, it's bye for now. The Athletic.